0: Um, The Bible reading will be taken from the book of Colossians 2, verses 6 to 8. At the end of the reading, I will end with the words, This is the word of the Lord. Do kindly respond by saying, Thanks be to God. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness say to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on christ this is the word of the lord thank you dennis all right let's let's pray lord jesus we thank you for this time thank you lord for your word, thank you, Lord, for the song we sang, Lord, that expresses the desire and longing of our hearts. We really want to hear from you. We, Lord, cannot do without you. Lord, and we ask that you make these few minutes, Lord, that that will be a time, Lord, where we hear from you, Lord, and all of our hearts are strengthened in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thank you, everyone, for coming, particularly for those of us who came for second service. You know, normally, um, second service is created so that people can sleep in. But that's not the case in this church. You guys decided to stay at home, and then allow the rain to fall, and then come so that you can show that you actually love Christ. right? So thank you so much for for showing how much you treasure and love Christ. Um, So what we've been doing um, is that we've been in the middle of a series through the book of Colossians called Rooted and Built Up in Christ, which is actually taken from, I don't know if you noticed, this passage that Dennis read. Rooted and built up in Christ. And what we are hoping to see is how being rooted and built up in Christ affects our relationship with Christ, Um, really just chapter 1 and 2, which is what we're doing currently, and then also how it affects our relationship with others, which is chapters 3 and 4, which we'll deal with subsequently. And so this is the eighth installment um, of this series. Now, I don't know about you, um, but usually when I'm going to a new place, I try to find out things about the place. Like, how can I survive in this place? Particularly if you are going abroad, you want to check the temperature. You want to be sure that you have the adequate gear, you know, required. I remember one time, um, at the time I'd never experienced winter, so I used to hear people say like, it can be really cold in winter. I was like, I beg, people, is exaggeration. Like, ah, winter is like, it's really freezing. You no. Know? we have to wear four jackets. I'm like, liar, liars, all of you. And then I happened to go to um, a part of Europe in January, just so that was during the peak of winter. I remember I came off the plane, I was like, ah, she said, this is the cold they are talking about. It's not even cold. (laughs) I stepped out of the um, arrival hall, and it was like somebody slapped me. (laughs) The cold that hit my face was like I was slapped. I had to run back inside and try to check through my stuff and see if I had a jacket and wear. And so that's usually how we you know, like to prepare, want to survive our guides, if you like, for the cities we are visiting. But I don't know about you, there is one survival kit that is essential in Lagos. I remember Lola wrote an article for City Church blog one time, and she, she mentioned how that it is required when you're in the city of Lagos to actually shine your eye, like make sure that nobody cheats you, nobody insults you, Even if you are like me, you don't don't like to fight, you can't argue, you just bone face and make sure that you're harsh. Because in Lagos, people like to take advantage of people. right? And so ensure that no one takes advantage of you. But there's one other thing that people often forget in Lagos, survival guide or survival kit that you need. It is this. You need, you need, you really need to know alternative traffic routes. It is essential for your life and your sanity. Because of routes like Lagos, Lekki Expressway, where I live in Aja, I walk around um, Eleguishi, which is really like, on a good day, it's like, is like 15 minutes, really, 15 minutes drive. But I've done that same route in two hours. That same road, I didn't go anywhere, <laughs> I didn't stop to buy anything. I was in that same traffic. Right? And so you need to know alternative traffic routes. I remember one time I was working, um, I was still working on, on Lagos Island, somewhere on Lagos Island, and I was living in Surulere at the time. But we had promised a family member, myself and my wife, that we were coming to see them. They live in Onipan. So that day we set out from Lagos Island and we checked the traffic. Route. Normally what you do is you join... Um, you go round Marina, join um, Eco Bridge, and then you descend a stadium. Keep following the Corridor Road, and then you go to Maryland all the You and turn back, and you arrive where you are going. But well, that day we checked the routes. Man, this thing was like, it was like two hours. Everywhere was red. You know Google Maps. Everywhere was red. Fortunately for us, we had a mobile Google Map in our car, in the person of Temidayo, and so Temidayo told us like, you guys, there is really a way to this only that you get there in 15 minutes. Like, really? Yes, 15 minutes. So, what I did was, we joined a cold bridge quite all right. We descended that stadium, we entered Moshe, and then we just started turning left, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, and we got to Nikwani in record time. And that they are like, eh, in this Lagos? So, you need to know alternative traffic routes. And many of us tend to treat our relationship with Christ the same way. We look at the Google map of our Christianity and we feel like this thing is red. It's long. I can't make it. I need alternative traffic routes. So what do we do? We turn left. We turn right. We turn to different places because we feel like it's really long and hard. But Paul is telling the Colossians this morning that, guys, the same way you came in is the same way you keep on. He says the way in is the way on. Now, we've titled this sermon, The way in is the way on, really because Paul's aim is to show that the gospel that brings us in is the one that keeps us in and will carry us home. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, that the gospel saves us, but it also takes us through the Christian life. And we'll look at it under three headings. One, the gospel brings us in. Two, the gospel keeps us in. And three, the gospel carries us home. The gospel brings us in, the gospel keeps us in, the gospel carries us home. So let's look at the first one, the gospel brings us in. If you look at verse 6, Paul starts by saying, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. And, you know, for us here, okay, what does this really mean? How did they receive Jesus Christ as Lord? Now, to fully understand this, we need to go back to chapter 1, which we treated the first, the first sermon that Pastor Fermi preached in the series, where we saw particularly in verses 5 and 6, where Paul says to the Colossians that we always thank God for the faith and love that spring from the hope, stored up for you in heaven, about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as he has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And Paul is saying essentially to these guys that the way you received Jesus Christ was through the gospel. And for us here who are sitting in 2019 in a cold room in Lagos, sheltered from rain, it's like, okay, nice. It's not life-altering news. It doesn't change anything. Right? It's like you're carrying on a conversation with someone, and you're you just hear on the radio breaking news, breaking news, power outage in Baduri for two weeks. Like breaking news, like how? How how is that even news? Like that's that's what happens normally, right? And you're like, I beg guy, beg, please let's continue what we're discussing. There's a tendency for us to feel like this thing is not really important, but Paul wants us to see. That this is really important. He wants us to feel the weight of what has actually happened. Because the gospel is actually glorious news. It's like hearing that your auntie in your village, that one that is in your mind right now, that auntie that tormented you as a child, all of us have them, right? That was always on your case. You hear that this auntie has now been married to Prince whatever in, in the British royal family. And like, what? This auntie of mine. Right, it's impossible, right, it's impossible. But but just imagine if it actually did happen, how that would change your world, how that would change everything about you. You'd be like, I am suddenly part of the British Royal Family. Why? Because you were on the outside before. You had no hope ever in your lifetime, all your generations of ever being in the British Royal Family. And yet that is what happens. And this is exactly how Paul intends for us to feel. You see, in the first sermon of the series, and we'll see it in the in in um, map shortly, but in the first um, sermon of the series, Pastor Femi showed us how that Paul went to a region, to the region of Asia, and he actually stayed in Ephesus for about two years. If we can just put up the, 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 the map. Paul stayed in Ephesus for two years, and this is Ephesus right here. And he showed us that Ephesus was actually kind of like the Lagos of, of the region, right? And this is Asia up here. And this is Colossae up here. But because of what was happening in Ephesus, the gospel actually spread throughout the region. And Acts chapter 19 tells us that everybody in, in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And it was this same gospel that came to the Colossians. Now, if you if you wonder what this gospel is, you wonder what exactly was this gospel that Paul was preaching. We see a glimpse of it in Acts chapter 17. 10 to 32, and you can kind of look at it on your own. But essentially, what Paul was presenting to these people was the good news about Jesus, his sinless life, his substitutionary death in their stead, his current kingship, and his impending judgment. Paul was presenting to the people, if you like, we can call them Asians, the good news about Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his substitutionary death, His impending judgment of the world. And this is what we recite every Sunday in this church. We say that um, the gospel is the good news that the incarnate and crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, is the risen Lord and impending judge of the world. I'd like us to just say it together the gospel is the good news that the incarnate and crucified Savior, Jesus Christ, is the risen Lord. An impending judge of the world. Friends, this is the gospel. This is how the Colossians came in. If you didn't know before, this is the gospel. But notice what he does to the Colossians. He brings them who were already outside. He brings them into the fold of God. So that he makes those who were previously aliens on the outside rebels to be reconciled to God. Now, if you know the story of the Bible, really, there are only really two groups of people. There were the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews were those who were chosen by God, people who came from the lineage of Abraham, and God revealed himself to them, gave them his covenants, gave them special access to him to worship him, the temple, all of these things, so that they could know him. And then there were those on the outside. And that is really the storyline of the Bible, until the person of Christ comes. And so Christ dies in the stead of all humanity. We see... in in the Gospels that when Jesus Christ dies, the veil is torn and gives access to each and every person who believes in him to come to the presence of God. And Paul is reminding these guys that you guys were initially on the outside, but now you have been brought in. In fact, he makes mention of this in Colossians 1, 21 to 23, but Ephesians 2, 11, 13, which is also... um, a reminder of of this reality, I believe captures it. Let me just read it. It says, therefore, remember that formerly, you who are Gentiles by birth, so you're on the outside, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying to the Colossians that the gospel has brought you into the family of God. Paul writes reminding them, saying, you guys are in. You guys are in. And you see, the reason why this is important for us, friends, is because particularly for those of us who are Christians, who who have grown up in this Christian sphere, if you like, there's a tendency for us to think that we were the ones on the inside, that we're actually the Jews. But rather, the reality the Bible paints for us is that we are not just different from the Jews because of ethnicity, but because we had actively sinned against God, we are the rebels. We are the ones on the outside. We are the ones deserving of death. But rather than God continuing to exclude us, God pardons us. But he doesn't just merely pardon us and say, like, guy, you were, my, um, you were my gate man before because you sinned. I forgive all your sins. Keep being my gate man. No, rather, God brings us in to his family. He makes us one of his children. Friends, it is better news than finding out that you have become part of the British royalty because you know why? That can never happen. But this has happened. You have become part of the family of God. The greatest relationship in all the world, you have access to it. And friends, this should encourage us. This should encourage us, for those of us who are struggling with identity issues and are wondering, who am I really? Like, I can't, I can't afford all the things that, that make people fly and make people look great. Paul says that we are already in. Friends, it is no longer about who you are, but it is now about whose you are. That when you become a child of God, you, you, are, you are grafted in, you become part of the family of God. Or you may be wondering, like, I, I really struggle with sin, like I'm really battling, I can't see any progress. I came across a quote this week from Martin Luther, the German reformer, that encouraged me so much. He says, when Satan reminds me I'm a sinner, he comforts me immeasurably. Why? Since Christ Jesus died for sinners. When Satan reminds me I'm a sinner, he comforts me immeasurably because Christ Jesus died for sinners. Friends, if you are a child of God here, you have trusted Jesus Christ with your life. You are in the family of God. Nothing can separate you from Christ. And if you're not a Christian here, can I just invite you to put your faith in Christ? The greatest problem you are facing in the world as a non-Christian is not your contract that hasn't come through or the people from your village that are doing you. That is is a serious thing, but that's not the greatest thing you're facing. The greatest thing you're facing as a non-Christian is that you do not know God. You're an alien in the family of God. You're outside the fold of God. And Jesus Christ stretches his arms towards us in the gospel and says, Come in. Come in. And so the gospel brings us in. But you know, if you look carefully at the text, verses 6 and 7, two words are repeated there. It's the words in him. And we saw this when Dami preached to us from Colossians 1 But really, what the gospel does is that it brings us in. But again, just using that illustration of the gate man, it doesn't just bring us into the compound, it brings us to the table. And theologians like to refer to this reality as union with Christ. It means that our identity has become so bound up with that of Christ that God looks at us, and rather than just see me, a guy preaching from a pulpit in Elegoshi in, in Lagos in 2019, he sees Christ. He sees you. Not as the person who is sitting down there with all your troubles and with all your feelings and with all the, the sorrows of the world on your shoulders. Rather, he sees you through the lens of his son. And friends, this should comfort us. And the gospel brings us into the family of God. It brings us, it gives us access to the person of God. The gospel is like the difference between, um, um, I can't remember his name, but President Buhari's son and myself or even the guy who is, working, who is working in the state house. Maybe the guy who is carrying President Buhari's folders can, can only just drop it when the president is around, and he can't enter when there's a meeting going on. But the president's son has access to the president 24-7. That is what the gospel does for us. It brings us into the family of God. It gives us access to the person of God. It ensures that we know God personally, not as rebels, not as aliens, but as people who are in the family of God. But we see, secondly, the second point, that the gospel keeps us in. The gospel keeps us in, and we see this in verses 6 to 8. Now, everything I've probably just said now is probably not, um, not controversial, right? Because everybody believes, if you're a Christian, that you really need to believe the gospel to get into the Christian life. But you see, the Bible also teaches us, and we'll see that shortly, that the gospel also, that we need the gospel also to continue in the Christian life. We often think that we need something deeper, right? Like, like the deeper Christian life is, is like, you just, you just have to be able to, like, I, I just can't say it. Like, it's really deep. You, you just, as in, I don't know if you've been in the presence of those people before. They just, like, you just, like, you just feel hopeless, like, this guy is so deep, he can't even say what, what it means to be deep. And there's a tendency for us to feel that way, right? Like, like there's just some deep things in Christian life that you need to unlock. You need to, you need to, the channels of your spirit must open up so that can, you can unlock it. <laughs> but the Bible does not agree with that position, right? Some of us even know this popular gospel passage, Romans 1:16. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation for the Jews and also the Greeks. And you're like, yeah, I need the gospel for salvation. But if we look at verses 14 of that same passage of Romans 1, what does Paul say? I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul wants to preach the gospel to Christians. And you ask, do Christians need the gospel? Paul's answer is a resounding yes. You need the gospel. And it's the same thing Paul argues in the passage before us. If you look at verse 6, notice how he opens. He says, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. In other words, Paul is saying, the same way you started, it's the same way you continue. The way you trusted Christ to start your Christian life is the same way you trust Christ to continue your Christian lives. He's effectively saying to the Colossians, guys, the way in is the way on. Don't turn anywhere else. The way in is the way on. But because Paul knows the Colossians, and he knows us, he shows us two things the gospel does for us by keeping us in. He shows us that the gospel keeps us in by growing us, And the gospel keeps us in by protecting us. The gospel keeps us in by growing us. Look at verses 6 to 7. It says again, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I don't know if you noticed that. Four metaphors Paul presents. It says, the gospel roots us in Christ. The gospel builds us up in Christ, it strengthens us, and it makes us overflow with thankfulness. Paul uses all these metaphors, these four metaphors, to make a point. He says, the gospel grows us downward, our roots, ensures that our roots are stable. The gospel grows us upward, ensures that we are built up and strengthened in Christ. But the gospel also grows us outward, ensures that we overflow with thankfulness. And if I can just make a side point here. You notice that of these four metaphors, there are two that are organic, two kind of just seem natural. It seems like you don't really do anything to, 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 to ensure that it happens. For instance, you don't, if you plant a seed, you don't, you, don't, you don't drive out the roots. The roots develop. The roots grow by itself, right? In the same, same way, if something is overflowing, you're not working up stuff. It happens naturally. And Paul is saying that our Christian life consists of both, if you like, the natural things that happen, but also the things we do to make it happen. So it talks about being built up and being strengthened. There are construction metaphors. You put a block here. You put a block on another one. You put a block on another one. And it, something is built up. And this is important for us who are in the city of Lagos, because there's a tendency for us to feel like, particularly as we hear, like, like, Guy, how's, how's, how's your prayer life? How's, how's your Bible study? How's, how's all these things? like, no, my relationship with Jesus is not legalistic. Like, my relationship with Christ is, is just, it's just there. Like, I'm always in the presence of God. You can't understand. But Paul is saying to us that our relationship with Christ must both be organic, spontaneous, but it must also continue, consist of the things that we do regularly to make sure that it happens. But again, just going on, the question arises, is the gospel working itself so much in your heart that you are growing deep roots in Christ? Is the gospel working itself so much in your heart that you are willing, you are developing and growing in holiness and in personal piety with Christ? Is the gospel working itself so deeply in your heart that you are growing up, being built and strengthened, that You're serving the body of Christ. You're developing in gifts and in talents to serve the body of Christ. The gospel growing itself deeply in you that it is propelling you outward, that it affects your conduct, it affects your character, it affects the things you say, right? It affects the way you use your words, overflowing with thankfulness. Notice, friends, that all these three things are happening together. He's not saying the gospel may help you in your conduct. It may help you to be rooted. It may help you as though one of these things can happen. But he's saying, when you are immersed in the gospel, these three things must happen. You must be growing deep roots in Christ. You must be built up and strengthened. You must overflow with thankfulness. Friends, there is no isolation of these things in the Christian walk. You see, if we aren't experiencing growth in our Christian work in any of these areas, Maybe it is because we're not soaking ourselves in the gospel. And you see, friends, growing in the gospel is a bit like making fish barbecue. Not chicken barbecue, fish barbecue. Chicken barbecue, you can, OK, chicken suya, chicken suya. Chicken suya, you can make it in, in, in one of two ways. You can, you can decide to, make, to, to boil the chicken first, because the skin is tough. Um, and you can't really grill it like that. So you can decide to boil it first and then marinate it and then grill it. Or you can decide to just marinate it first and grill it. Chicken suya. But fish suya, you can't can't do, there's really only one way to do chicken and fish fish suya or fish barbecue, whatever you like to call it. Um, Now, what you do is you gather the ingredients together you um, So like your garlic, you blend it together with the onions, with the, um, with the pepper, with all these things. You grind it together, create a marinade, right? And soak the fish inside. Just let it abide there. Just leave it there. What happens? What, what you realize very quickly is that by the time you grill it, the fish has taken on the attributes of that marinade, and it has affected the taste of the fish. Friends, that is the same way the gospel works in our lives. When we allow ourselves to marinate deeply in the truth of the gospel, we we settle there, we we soak there, we allow it to work itself deeply in our lives. It will spill forth in the way we use our words, in the way we use our lives, in our relationship with Christ. Can I urge you this morning, if you are a Christian, allow the gospel to marinate in your soul. Allow you to work yourself deeply in in you, in the things you do, in the the things you say, so that everything about your life is affected. But you see, Paul also shows us that the gospel keeps us in because it protects us. And so let's now turn our attention to verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, just a little background: the entire book of, of, of Colossians is really written to battle this heresy that had been infiltrating the Colossian church. There were special teachers who had come up at that time and they were saying, like, guys, like there's really something deep here. You need to learn some deep mysteries about about, about this Christian work. You don't need the gospel again, you need some other extra things. And Paul is writing this letter to address that. But you see, the way he addresses it in verses 6 to 8 is by saying that don't allow anyone to, to, to get your attention away from the gospel. Stay here and continue on it. He's saying that the gospel, by continuing and staying in Christ, the gospel protects us against error. The reason why we can know the truth, the reason why we can know the truth about the gospel and the truth about false teaching is because we are familiar with the gospel. And so there's this picture um, that came out last week, actually no, two weeks ago. It's the new 2,000 naira note um, that was released last week, and it was like the press release was it was very was really touching. Like it was so the lady on it is Dr. Stella Dadevo. and um, you guys, everyone's stuck right now. The the he, she was the one that um, protected. She was the one that protected Nigerians against Ebola, right? And the federal government decided to come up with this new note to honor her memory. And so this is—I don't know how many of us have seen the 2,000 naira note. You guys have not seen it. <laughs> okay, right. It's not—it's not original. <laughs> I've not heard about it. Really, there's a new 2,000 naira note. No, it's not original. It's not original. How do you know it's not real? Sterling Back of Nigeria Nigeria is written on it. Yeah, up there, Sterling Back of Nigeria is on it. But part of the other reason why you know it's not real is because you haven't seen it. Like, if there's a new 2000 Naira note, I won't be the one telling you. Like, everybody will know, right? We hear from CBN, we see it on the streets. You have already seen some of the currencies. Now, this other one, now, this other note—is this, is this real? Yes, it's real, Abby. Okay, this is not real. But this other one—is this real? This one. How do you know this one is real? It's not real. <laughs> Forget about whether you are seen it on a screen or not. <laughs> but 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 this is like this is most likely real, right? This is this is yeah like this is how five hundred looks. But this other one, the one before it, like number one, number one, this is, this is the same zero with 500 now. And they added an extra of 5,000. That's one. Two is that it has wallet showing on it. Like, when, when did wallet showing car start appearing on Nigerian currencies? <laughs> now, the point is, the reason you know it's fake is because you have handled the original. We are familiar with the original. Somebody else from another country can arrive tomorrow now, and he wants to change money at the airport, and they give him this. <laughs> they give him this in, like, in a batch of hundreds. <laughs> and the guy is really happy, like, and, like he has plenty of Nigerian money. But you and I know that it is fake currency. Why? Because we are familiar with the original. Friends, it is the same thing with the gospel. When we are familiar with the original of the gospel, It protects us from the falsehood of false doctrines. And the reason why, and I agree, there's a lot of bad stuff going on. There's a lot of really terrible stuff going on. But the reason why many of us fall for them is because we do not know the truth of the gospel. Paul says, the gospel keeps us in by protecting us from error. There is no protection from error if we do not know the truth of the gospel. And so I like the way a theologian writes it, Douglas Moore. He says, Any teaching that in any way subtracts, detracts from Christ's exclusive role is by definition both wrong and ineffective. These teachings seem rather to be arguing that certain practices must be added on in order to achieve true spiritual fulfillment. But for Paul, in this case, addition means subtraction because one cannot add to Christ without, in effect, subtracting from his exclusive place in creation and in salvation history. You cannot add to Christ without subtracting from Christ. Friends, we must allow the gospel to work itself so deeply in our hearts that it protects us from error. And there are many things competing for our attention every day, many things pulling us in in different directions, many things that want to get us to do what they like. How do we keep ourselves from these false teachings, from these errors? It is by staying in the gospel. How can we stay the course? How can we become more like Christ? The gospel. How can we grow with thankfulness, despite the resentment we feel for the the circumstances around us that haven't changed? The gospel. How can we grow in patience with that neighbor who is always on our case? The gospel. How can we continue to believe God despite the fact that there are unanswered prayers? The gospel. How can we continue to hope for change despite the fact that there are repeated patterns of sin that seem so strong and hold us in and don't let us go? The gospel. How can we be protected from the error of false gospels? The true gospel of Christ. Friends, the way in is the way on because the way that brings us in Is the way that keeps us in. I know there are many times where we tend to think that the gospel is the appetizer in a three-course meal. But what Paul is telling us this morning, that the gospel is not the appetizer in a three-course meal. The gospel is the entire meal. Friends, we need the gospel for all of our life to ensure that we become the kind of Christians that Christ wants us to be. And so Paul tells these guys, Guys, Remember that this gospel brought you in. But remember that it's this same gospel that will keep you in. But lastly, Paul also shows these these guys, the Colossians, that the same gospel that brings them in and keeps them in is the same gospel that carries us home. And So the third point, the gospel carries us home. You see, apart from in him that we saw earlier, that I was talking about this reality of our location in Christ, union with Christ, that God looks at us and our identity is so bound up in the identity of Christ that he sees nothing apart from Christ when he looks at us. There's also another word that is repeated twice in this passage. It's the word Christ. And Paul wants us to see that, in fact, the the, the reason why Paul refutes these errors of these false gospels is that he says in verse 8, they make us to depend on them rather than on Christ. And Paul wants us to see that there is sufficiency in Christ. That what Christ achieves for us allows us to continue to depend on him. So remember earlier when I talked about the fact that we're aliens from God, separated from God in, in Ephesians 2, 11 to 13. Paul says, because the gospel reconciles us to God, it gives us a new identity, but it gives us a new destination, a new home. And so some of us may even be familiar with this passage, Colossians 1, 27, that is pretty common. It says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What exactly is this glory? We see it more deeply when we look at chapters 3 and 4. But in Colossians 3, 4, Paul says that for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's verse 3. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life, when we're in him, he becomes our life. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear, where? With him in glory. And so this glory that Paul is talking about, it is the promise and the hope that we will see Christ again. It is the promise, the assurance that we are not just running a race that doesn't have any destination or an end. We are running a race that has an assured end in Christ. You see, in the gospel, Jesus invites us in to trust him because he lived the sinless life we never could. He died the death that we deserved. And he says that when we trust him, We are reconciled to God, not just here in the present, but also with him eternally. And so if you haven't trusted Christ, friends, can I ask you to trust Christ now? Can I say to you that all the glory you are living for in this world is nothing compared to what is coming and what has been promised us in the person of Jesus Christ? If you'd like to know more about that, I'd ask you to please speak with one of our leaders. But I really encourage you that Christ offers much more than you can imagine, much more than you can comprehend with your mind. But if you're a Christian here already and you feel discouraged and you're like, this Christian life does not make any sense, like, I'm just, I'm just going on. Like, there's no, I don't even know what's in need for me. Paul says that it is this hope of glory that we will see him again. In fact, 1 John. First John tells us that we will see him as he is. We will become like him. And so if you're familiar again with, with, with the story of the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 33, Moses makes a request of God, and he says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. And God says, no, you won't see my face. You will see my hind parts. In, in, in effect, Moses' request was denied. But in Christ, in the gospel, God Grants us that which was denied Moses. God says to us that when you trust Christ, you are going to see his face eternally. We'll be in his presence forever, worshiping him, adoring him, united. That unity, that that reality of the reconciliation that we're already having here, would have it eternally expressed to us. And this is the gospel, friends. This is the gospel that brings us in as aliens, as, as rebels who are outside the family of God, brings us into the family of God, ensures that we are kept in the family of God by growing us and protecting us, but also assures us that we will get home. Because it depends on Christ, not on us. And so if, you, if you've been around this church and you hear the terms gospel centrality, and you're wondering, what, what, does, what does gospel centrality even mean? This city church, would they like too much books? I don't know, what does it mean? This is what it means. It means that we allow the gospel to deeply marinate. Again, using that word, marinate our hearts and our souls, that it affects everything we do. Suddenly, if you're a single person, the biggest thing in life is not getting married, even though that is important. The Bible tells us that because of what Christ has done, our value is no longer because we're single or married. But it says in 1 Corinthians 7, that now we can have a new identity as people who are devoted and committed to Christ. If you're married, the gospel changes how your marriage works. It, it affects the way you lead your home as a man. It, it says that you, don't, you no longer fight for your rights, but rather you lay your life down because Christ laid his life down for us in the gospel. If you're a wife and you have a very annoying husband, it says that the way you submit is not, really, not only because you like it or you want it, but because Christ submitted to God and because of that, we have reconciled to God in the gospel. If you are working as an employee and, and you're like, this place is really difficult, and you have, you have terrible conditions, the gospel affects how you work. He says that in Colossians chapter 3, that we no longer work as people who are eye-pleasers, but as people who serve God. In Colossians 4, Paul says if you are an employer... The gospel affects how you treat your employees and those who are under you, the ones you supervise, because you have a master who is called Christ. The gospel affects how we relate to our civil government. It says that in 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, it says that it is not just because we voted for them, even when we don't vote for them, it says that prayers and intercessions must be made for all those who are in government, all those who are in authority. We pray for President Buari, even whether we voted for him or not. We pray for all the things that are happening in the Northeast, whether we voted for them or not, or we have no affiliation with them or not, because of the gospel. The gospel affects how we parent. We no longer want to live our lives through the lens of our children. We no, we no longer want to say, this child must, must do the things I never was able to do in my life. Rather, the gospel makes us see that we are stewards of this child. and It affects how we parent the children. It affects how we relate with our money. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that he, though being rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Your money is no longer an, an, an instrument to use to be served uh, to serve your own purposes. Rather, your money becomes a tool to serve God's purposes and God's mission. The gospel affects everything because the gospel changes everything. And so Paul reminds us this morning, friends, that the way in is the way on. The way in is the way on. The way in is the way on. The way in is the way on because the gospel that brings us in, keeps us in, and carries us home. And ask us to just respond to God in prayer and and thank God for this great gospel that reconciles us to God. And some of us remember our past lives and how terrible we were and the things we did, but that gospel brought us in. Some of us remember. Some of us even know right now the things that we are doing that, are, that 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 hold us. The things, the ways in which we're not pleasing God enough. That gospel is keeping us now. And when we have doubts about whether we'll make it home to the new heavens and new earth, whether we'll see Christ again, the gospel assures us that Christ will carry us home. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this great gospel that is inexhaustible. We cannot plumb its depths. We cannot search its heights, Lord. We don't know its expanse, Lord. We thank you so much for this gospel. Help us, Lord, to soak in it. Help us, Lord, to be affected by it. Help us, Lord, to be transformed by it. All to the praise and glory of your name. In Jesus' name.